series called Others. I don't know if you can see it back there, but Others and what that means and what the, the challenge is, how do we respond to other people? Barnabas was a guy who always thought about others and, and all through Scripture, but that wasn't his real name. What was his real name? Joseph. Good job, you guys. Way to go. But the disciples nicknamed him Barnabas, which means a son of encouragement. He encouraged people so much by his words, his attitude, his love, his zest for life. And, and through the Bible, he's Barnabas. That's how we know him. So that's a pretty cool nickname. Today we are talking about radical inclusion. Now typically, we, we do really well at exclusion, right? We're pretty good at pushing people away. Our fences, our walls, our firewalls as they call them. You know, we want to keep people out. Uh, but, but this is a story, it's a fascinating story about how to embrace people and keep people in. I got to tell you a story in my life. When I was like eight or nine years old, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we moved when I was 10 to Grand Junction, Colorado, where I grew up the rest of my life. But my dad gave me a BB gun way too early <laughs> because he trusted me way too early. And... And we built a fort, me and three other guys, two, two of my best friends in the neighborhood found this place where we could build this, cool, it was the coolest fort. It was like six feet deep, these holes, and we built it the size so we could put a piece of plywood over the top, and then we would build tunnels and put plywood over the top and then cover it all with dirt. So you looking at it, you wouldn't even know that there's a house under there. I mean, to us, it was a house. Little candles and food. We'd go there after school and just hang out and say, this is cool. <laughs> it was so fun. Well, we had a kind of a bully in our neighborhood, and, uh, and he found out about our fort, and he was going to come and wreck it, is what he said. So we were down in our fort, and we had a little way to look out, and I saw him coming up the hill, and I happened to have my BB gun there. <laughs> and this is bad. This is bad. I'm so sorry. And, and I, I don't know what came over me, but... I'm a protector, and, and I just got that BB gun out, and, and I pointed at him, which is horrible, and I said, if you take one more step, I will blow your head off. <laughs> this is sad. So it was his fault. <laughs> he took another step, and I am a man of my word, and... Uh, the bullet, the, the BB hit him like right here, and it, it, did, it did break the skin. And, and just a little bit, big baby. Anyway, he, <laughs> just a little bit, he, he, he ran home, because he's like 12, right? We're like eight. And he ran home and told his dad, and his dad, I run home, get in my bedroom. I'm thinking, oh, I'm in trouble. And uh, I hear my dad answer the door to our house from my bedroom, and it's this guy's dad with him. And he says, your son just shot my son with a BB gun, and that is not okay. And I heard my dad say, my son would never point that gun at anybody. So I'm trying to get the screen off in my bedroom to get outside, because I hear my dad coming down the hall, and sure enough, man, I'm almost out, and he grabs me by the seat of my pants and pulls me. True story. I was trying to keep someone out, and I was successful. This story is really powerful because 
It's very radical inclusion. The Jews and the Gentiles did not mix. They hated each other. I mean, um, the Jews called Gentiles dogs. It, it was, it was, it's hard to even explain the hatred and the cultures and how different, different they were. And yet the church, God's church, is now going to be filled with Gentiles sitting next to the Jewish world. This is impossible. A Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish, okay? So, so let me just, just kind of tell you what happens before we read it. Peter preaches and these Gentiles get saved. And it shocks everybody because the Holy Spirit comes upon them, just like it did in Acts 2 on the Jewish world. And they're suddenly stepping back going, wow, God loves the Gentiles too. We didn't see that coming. And they can get saved just like us. And, but they don't know the law. Uh, they don't know the custom. They don't know how to offer a, an animal for sacrifice. They don't know what to wear when they go to church. They don't know that they're supposed to be circumcised. Yeah. And so they're making all these rules in order for the Gentiles to come into the church and they say, let's have a meeting and talk about it. That's Acts 15. It's a fascinating chapter. It's a really important chapter for all of us who are Gentiles, who are not Jews. Let me just, let me just read part of it. Acts 15, verse 1. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Listen to this. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And every Gentile in the room hearing this went, whoa, this is serious. What do you mean I have to be circumcised? So Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently, which is the Greek words there are like with fire. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, where all this was coming from, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia, Samaria, to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. This is such a huge moment in the life of the church. What's going to happen How are the Jewish people going to respond that now God is actually pouring his grace out on the Gentiles as well? The first thing I want you to write down in the back of your program, I have lots of blanks, but we'll get them all. Number one is the mess of a growing church. Just the sheer mess of a growing church. People don't realize what goes on behind the scenes in the church that's growing, but it's it's messy. And it's because we are all different. We don't all share the same values. And so when you get this many people together, you got to talk about how to do this right. As a church, we are constantly changing. You are different than the person next to you. When you came to Timberline, you messed us up a little more. <laughs> Just turn to your neighbor and say, you are a mess. <laughs> right? It's, it's the reality of where we are. Because we all don't share everything. We don't even know everybody here. But because of God and what he's put in us, we are called the sons and daughters of God. That's a miracle. And so we're family. And that, that puts us in a unique situation. Um, the minute we get stuck t- trying to protect this church and keep it from changing, then we're going to blow it up. Because it's made to breathe. The church should breathe. And change comes. 
Things happen. Now, let me just give you things that create the mess in your outline there. Now, I think I have four. There are more than four, okay, just so you know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of hit the top four here. The first one I want you to write down is non-biblical expectations. This is often called legalism. And, and it, the, the reason it is is because you have an idea. This happens because you have an idea of what it means to be holy, of what it means to be appropriate. How many of you, when you, if you grew up going to church like I did, you put on your Sunday best to go to church? Anybody besides me? Yeah, I did too. I had clothes I could only wear on Sunday. Why? Because we're going to God's house. We're going to the sanctuary. Now that's all Old Testament language. We don't use that here. We call this our living room or our auditorium. But the Holy of Holies in the temple was a real place where God lived. And so we've carried that over theologically and made some real mistakes with it. And, and we don't even realize we do it. And so you, you put on your Sunday clothes to come to church. You see, it's this idea that this is God's house. This isn't God's house. God, What's God's house? Right here. We are the temple of the Spirit. He lives in us. When we leave today, I promise, God's not kind of like floating around in the room going, oh, man, I miss them. I hope they come back. No, God is with us. He's in us. He goes with us. But because of our logic and the way we think and we process, we often want to hold people to a certain... Now, it's, it might be important that, that you look okay. I mean, I'm glad you wear something. But what's nice to some person might not be nice at all. What's inappropriate to one person might not be inappropriate to someone else. And so we have all these filters, and we come together, and we have to pay attention not to put these, these expectations out. You know, some of you have lots of tattoos and piercings, and body art's a big deal right now. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have any tattoos, not because of a biblical conviction. I don't I have any conviction about it. I just, I have heard there's some pain involved. <laughs> right? But people have expressions and, and if you see someone, you don't know the motive of someone's heart as to why they have the look that they have. And as a church, you guys, it's really important for us to get this right. That we embrace people, that we love people, even people that might not look like you would want to look. They look at you and they don't want to look like you look. And so it's very important that we say the body of Christ is bigger. The fact that the Gentiles could walk into the synagogue and, and be in service with Jews, that was un, unheard of. And we cannot be prejudiced because of these things. The second thing in your outline is this, self-centeredness. When you become self-centered, you create a mess in the church. Not just Timberline, but in the church, the big church, the big C, everywhere. Because, and, and I have to tell you, we all have some self-centeredness in our lives. All of us do. As a matter of fact, it, just living in America will force you to be self-centered. And you probably won't even know you are. Just because you can go out and eat. You can drive through a drive through and order, quote, what you want. And you can get it the way you want it. You can request a certain thing in a restaurant. And they'll do their best to provide it. And if you don't like it, guess what? We're in a day and age where social media destroys people and companies. Because you will tweet it out there. You'll tell people what you think. And I don't like this. And they shouldn't have done that. And all of a sudden, you've got a wall going on. 
because we like it our way. Self-centeredness destroys churches. We are not called to get it the way we want. Well, I like the worship music a little like this. Well, I like it like that. Well, I, well God likes it all, especially when we worship from the heart. Our job is to lay down our lives Our job is to say, I'm willing to go anywhere, do anything, give whatever it takes for the mission of God in my life. And boy, that's a big ask. But we get self-centered and we start destroying stuff. The third one is lack of flexibility. Man, it's amazing to me the changes that we make through the years at Timberline. And, uh, And you guys are awesome. I'm telling you, you are amazing. Now it doesn't matter. But I know churches who almost split over moving the organ. Or the piano, you know, or changing the design, you know, moving this. Oh, this is going to freak some people out. Oh, did you see that? Oh. I mean, I mean, it's weird in churches the things that people don't want you to mess with because it's holy or it's godly or something. And then I love this one guy, a friend of mine, who said there should be a new beatitude that says, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall enjoy life. If you're not flexible, man, you are going to get wounded every day of your life. You just are. You get on a flight, it gets canceled, it gets moved, it gets delayed, it makes you miss the next flight, you can't get there. You have a perfect date planned and it rains. We went to spring break in Arizona one year, and um, because we're coming off of spring break, made me think of this, and the, the paper had all these wedding announcements, you know, for that Saturday, and a big old storm came through and it snowed a foot. This is in Phoenix. You know, they were freaked out and it ruined the wedding, but they still got married. They can laugh about it now, but I wouldn't have been laughing if I was paying for it. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Flexibility. Are you flexible? We say it at Timberline all the time. You could probably finish this quote with me. Let's try this. If it doesn't work, we'll go back to what wasn't working before. (laughs) Had someone say to me, Oh, I love the circles. Just after the last service, I had someone else say, why are we having circles up there? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know, really. I don't know. (laughs) But who cares? (laughs) Flexibility. You turn these decorating people loose. Let them have some fun. We can still show up and have fun and look at circles or squares or triangles or pallets. Whatever it is. Lack of vision, number four. At Timberline, we don't have this problem. If you've been around here very long, you know this. We are a church filled with vision. But this causes a mess in churches when there's no vision beyond survival. And the church just tries to save itself. And its money just all goes to itself. And I, I want to tell you, thank you for being people who have vision beyond you. Vision beyond us. Vision beyond these rooms and these auditoriums. But we're going to reach northern Colorado. We're reaching the world. We're going to make a difference. God's called us to do that. Thanks for giving to that. For volunteering for that. That's how it happens. We can do it together. We can't. We can't do it alone. I want to make this personal for just a minute. Vision in your life personally. I know it's corporately what I'm doing. But but I just want to ask you. Ask these questions in your life. What are you working on right now in your life? I hope it's something, because, because if you can't think of anything, then I feel disappointed almost, because I think God wants us to constantly be being remade, being remodeled, being reshaped. Our heart is, is running toward God, and God wants to work on us. Um, 
What is the plan in place to get it done? You know, having an idea is not good enough. Well, I really want to do this. I really want to lose weight. I really want to be in shape. I really want to have this. I really want to read the Bible more. So what? Lots of people do. But what is the plan to get you there? What are you doing actively every day to make that happen? I I have a plan that I want to be emotionally, physically, spiritually, and financially prepared in my life and for my future. See, well, what does that mean? I I have people say to me, well, I just know it's all going to work out. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It doesn't for a lot of people. And so I just encourage you to just kind of take the reins of your life and say, God, show me how I can have vision and how I can move forward in my life personally. And then, obviously, corporately, together, as we do the vision of God, we can be all that God wants us to be. Number two in your outline is the need for healthy conversations. Now, we're going to go back to the text And we're going to really break this down and look at what they did in order to make this happen. They had to have the conversation. Verse 6. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. I love that verse. Thank God for that verse. They met together to resolve these issues. That's huge. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you know... You all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. Let me just say one thing here before we read the rest. Peter felt he was kind of squirming in the meeting because they're throwing this out there. These Gentiles are coming to faith, and Peter's the first one who preached to them when they got saved. So he's like, oh, man, this is on me. I need to say something. Okay, he stands up. Everybody, I just want you to know this happened when I was preaching. Let me explain it. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. We cannot even fathom the bigness of that statement right there because they were the special elite ones that God loved. For he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God By burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. We believe that we are all saved the same way. By the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. And everyone said amen. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Wow. I want to give you four or five key components that these verses contain that will help us be better at what we do as a church. The first one is this. They met together. There was an issue, and they said, let's have a sit-down talk. Do you know how many people are unwilling to do that in our culture? Oh, I'll send them an email. No, you don't handle confrontation through email. Can Can I just help you understand that? You can correct something. You can make a little adjustment. But when you start fighting words in an email and you don't have the heart there and you don't have the expression, you don't have the tone, um, it's very important that we sit down and we, we meet face to face. And many people are afraid to do that. And I just want to embolden you to say, let God help you to have the wisdom and the strength to sit down with people you're having a confrontation with and be gentle and kind and work it out. Churches who have a mess need to work it out. We need to talk to each other. It's important. It's godly. There's power in being together. The second thing is 
a key component is that they had a long discussion. Verse 7 actually says a long discussion. I really like that. Because not everything has a quick fix. Would you agree? You know, Bonnie and I have been married for a lot of years. And we have had some long discussions. We have had times in our marriage when we needed to talk some more and again and sleep on it and talk about it some more and again because we disagree on something, you know? And she tells me why her opinion is what it is and I tell her what my opinion is and why she's wrong. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And then we sleep on it. And then we talk some more. We still have things that we are not completely in agreement on, but I love her. She loves me. And these, these, I just want to encourage you, don't be afraid of of being in an ongoing discussion about things that are tough in your life or what you don't understand. As believers, we need to be patient with each other, encouraging one another. You might not be fully right about something that you're just positive that you're right about it. Maybe there's two rights in some situations where, you know, picking where you put your socks in the closet. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe the whole toilet paper discussion of whether it rolls over or under, you know. Maybe, maybe both is okay. Just thank God for toilet paper. That's the bottom line. We, we get caught up in the weird places. They had a long discussion. Number three, they rediscovered the core values of why they exist. They, they, they actually came together and said, let's talk about this. This is important. How, do, how can we do this better? Verses 7 through 11 are all about this. It's easy for churches to forget why they exist. Because we exist to change the world. We are God's answer to the world. And that is much bigger than my little world or your little world. Let's do it together. Number four, they listened to each other. Wow. Are we better at talking or listening? Talking, for sure. And here's something you need to know. Real listening isn't the silent treatment. Oh, I'm just listening. No, you're not. You're pouting. Right? So it's important for us to be good listeners, to pay attention to how we treat each other. Listening could change the world. I really believe that. I'm amazed that I do this sometimes too. We all probably do when you're talking in in a heated discussion or you have a strong opinion. You just, you you have it. It's on the edge of of your lips. You already have the answer and you just want them to shut up so you can tell them. You know what I mean? It's like, and they keep talking, keep talking. And you see people almost like a hunting dog shaking, you know, ready to run. That's not listening. You're not forming what your, your opinion is yet. You're just listening. And let's do that. Let's get good at that. Number three in your outline. Striving to make outrageous inclusions. This this is what they did. This is how they found a solution. So we're going to actually see what they did. Verse 13. When they had finished the meeting, James stood up and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people for himself. And his, com- his uh, conversion, and this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. Then he goes on, as it is written. He goes back, you can read this on your own in that chapter. 
and talks to them about these prophets that were saying this was going to happen. In other words, we just didn't see it. We had no idea that the Gentiles would actually come to faith, but it was prophesied about. So basically he's saying, let's do this. Let's engage. Let's embrace. Let's not argue about it anymore. Let's come up with a way to include even the Gentiles. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about this radical inclusion. It reminded me of a movie that I loved, uh, or the play, Les Miserables. Have you seen this show? And, and it's, uh, it's about this prisoner who spent like 19 years, Jean uh, Van Jean, and he, he spent 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. In, in a French prison. And he got out, and he had no place to go, so he knocked on the door of a bishop. And the bishop opens the door, lets him stay there the night, and before he leaves in the morning, he sees some silver, and he steals it, and he goes out the door. The police catch him. They bring him back to the house to confront, and the bishop says, remember this? Oh, that's a gift to him. He can have it. I, I want that to be his gift from me. There's no crime here. And it so stunned the police and it so stunned everyone else and even the criminal. Because I would have been like, get the cops on the phone. How dare you? I let you in my house and you're stealing? Right? But something happened and the grace of God came over that bishop. And he released him. And, and John Valjean said, I will make something of my life because of this kind act. And he vowed to him that he would. And he ends up being the mayor of this city and and having a great successful story in life. So it's, it's just an amazing story. What does it mean to discover radical grace that redeems and restores rather than exclusion that builds walls and hides in anger? I want to be the kind of person that can open my arms carefully, methodically, with the presence of God. I'm not talking about foolishness. Don't be foolish. Some people can't be trusted. But when are those moments when God speaks to you to say, that person needs care right now. They need to be included in the family of God even though they really don't deserve it. Number four, clarify expectations. This is a practical point that we need to know is in this. So this is going to bring a big sigh of relief. The Gentiles are waiting on the other side of the door with this letter going, we're going to have to be circumcised. Joe, how you feel about that? Well, not sure. I might have to start a new church. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, this is, a, this is tricky. So here's what they say. And this is funny to me because they still didn't get it right. There's four things they're going to require, and three of them aren't even biblical. But it's just the best they could do with what they have. Think about this. Verse 20. Instead, we should write and tell them, here's the list, to abstain from eating food that's been offered to idols, from sexual immorality, that's the biblical one, from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. What did they do? They defaulted back to what they knew, whether it was right or not. That's what we always do. And sometimes, you guys, we don't get it right. But this worked. It was a place of start. It's where the Gentiles could get their head around it. And the Gentiles, you'll see in a minute, rejoiced. And they were happy, mostly because it did not include circumcision. And, and largely because the Jewish people were actually saying, we want to embrace you. We believe God's favor is on you too now. Let's do this together. That's huge. That's just a huge thing. All relationships need to answer questions like, why are we together in this? What are we trying to do together? 
What is my role? What is your role? And how can we succeed? These were the things they were trying to do. You guys, as a church, it's imperative that we have that spirit in us, that we are willing to talk, we are willing to sit down, we are willing to reason. The last one, number five, resolve to be a family. Resolve to be a family. It's powerful in verse 30. It says, The messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers, and they delivered the letter. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. The word resolve means to settle or find a solution. That's what they were going to do. I want us to resolve to be the family of God that he's calling us to be. We need each other. I, uh, I grew up going to church my whole life. And we used to sing this old song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Sing it if you know it. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we are a family. Your kids, joint heirs with Jesus. Wow. These are my brothers and sisters. Thank you that we can journey together. Thank you that you call us the bride of Christ, your spouse. It's amazing. You love us all. None of us deserve it. We're all different. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different preferences. Some of us bug each other. We don't like everything that happens, but your mantle on us and your vision for us is much bigger than our little world. Thank you, God. Thank you for a day like today when we can read what happened back in the book of Acts and how they settled the differences and how you caused a Gentile to be sitting next to a Jewish person who once their lives would be filled with hatred, now they join hands in worship, in praise, and the work of the Lord for the kingdom to be built. That's a miracle. Show us, Lord, how to embrace this spirit, this attitude. Teach us how to walk with forgiveness and grace that will change the world. With heads bowed, I'm just going to ask you this question. Do you need to offer grace to somebody? Have you been stubborn? Maybe even mean? Where have you drawn the line that maybe God wants you to revisit some things? Sometimes you just get tired of the same place and, and it's easy to be a completely different person around that person than what you really are. You're, you're hardened. God just really may want to talk to you about that today to say, what does it mean to offer grace and care in the places that are difficult for me? Make that your prayer right now. Lord, show me. Some of you have families that are falling apart, splitting apart, kids that are not interested, parents, grandparents. That are, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I just know this. God cares about that. And God wants you to maybe reach out your hand first in love and in kindness. And it's tough for you. That's pride. 
And sometimes it's fear that you're going to just be wounded all over again. So you need wisdom. You guys, I, I don't want you to just run out of here and go call people that you've been estranged with. You need the wisdom of God to know what to do, if anything. But at least have a gentle heart. At least have a, a spirit that God can talk to. That's the key. Have that spirit. Secondly, how many of you don't raise your hand, but you just you need grace offered to you, perhaps, that you are the one who stole the silverware and ran away. It could be that today God is wanting to give you the courage and boldness to go rebuild that bridge. To maybe write that letter if you can't get to them face to face. Maybe they don't want to see you, but maybe there's something you can do to say, I blew it. I need help. And I've gotten it and God's helping me just so you know. I'm not carrying this anymore. I don't know what it is. But let God help you. I'm praying for unity in your family, your extended family. I'm praying for unity. And I know unity in this church is a powerful thing. But we can only have that if our lives are not filled with that kind of frustration and hatred and vengeance. So walk in the unity of God, in the stillness of the Lord, in the power of the Spirit. And the last thing I want us to do is pray together, not for us individually. We've, we've had enough of that. So take, take a little trip with me. If you could just shoot straight up about two or 3,000 feet out of that chair and look right down on Timberline. And you could just see the picture. Maybe you've seen it on Google Maps. Just get that in your mind for a second. And let's pray for this church. Let's pray that we can be what God is calling us to be and not miss a beat. Even when he asks us the big stuff that's scary. And even when he asks us the little stuff that's tedious. Lord, this is your church. You are the owner. We are the stewards. And we ask you right now for all of us to be able to walk together for the glory of God. To walk in unity. To know what it's like to sit down to resolve conflict. To sit down to resolve issues that maybe have been hurtful to us. Opinions that seem so big that are really silly. Show us the bigger picture and let us argue for the right things. Let us let our challenges be arm in arm, locked together to take this territory for the glory of God. Show us, Lord, how to change our nation by starting with our neighbor. We love you. If anyone's here and doesn't know Jesus Christ personally, you're separated from God. Right now, just pray this under your breath. Lord, forgive me. I know I'm separated from you right now. I'm sorry. I need healing. I need cleansing. I put my faith in you. I trust that you did die on that cross for me too. And I give you my life now. And I accept forgiveness from you. Show me what it means now to walk with purpose in my life. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much today. In your name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Proud of you. So fun to journey together and be in this. And Let's enjoy the mess, right? Let's just breathe it in and have some fun with it. Ushers, would you come? If you're a guest with us, we don't expect you to give in this offering. This would be where you put your connection card in. Thanks for coming today. We really appreciate it. And... Uh, we're going to pray over this offering, and I just want to say thank you for giving so generously that it allows us to have the vision we have. Timberline is a big funnel, and we take in a lot of money, and we give away a lot of money to the right causes, the right people, the right needs, and I think God honors that. But it's because of your generosity, 
So God bless you in that. Lord, thank you today that we can be a part of something bigger. None of us individually are probably capable of doing what we're doing corporately. But we're all a part of this because we're together in it. We're your church in it. And so thanks for letting us feel like we can make a difference together. That's how it works. And I thank you for that opportunity, Lord. Bless each one who can and can't. But use these funds for the glory of God, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song from our heart. And you are bigger than any of our needs, than any of our challenges. We really want to take that home with us today. Let us live with resolve and let us enjoy it. Let us breathe it in every day. Use your church. Spend us out there in a way that makes a difference for your glory. Amen. You guys, we would love to hear your story. Our website says share the story right on the top banner. Click on it and a template comes up. And we want to, over the next year, tell some stories. And we'll get a hold of you and do some video taking and really get the details to bless others. There's a lot of great stories. There are many great stories at Timberline. So please do that on our website and let us hear your story. And remember as you go, when our prayer team come, we're available to pray with folks right up here now. But as you go today and the tables and all the stuff outside, remember that the service starts now. Go make a difference. God bless you. I love you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for coming to Timberline. 